There's no better correction that the dog ever gets than the one they believe they gave themselves or the environment bit them. And it's better that there's no human fucking present, bro. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. So what we use is technology, man. Like we set up cameras, whether it's baby monitors, FaceTime, you know, you got cameras in your head, your house set up. Let's imagine the dog's counter surfing. I right? almost want to stop you, bro, because I just feel like you're putting people on too much game right now. <laughs> it's, it's the elevated podcast, so we're going to hook you guys up. <laughs> you, can, you can delete this shit. No, later, no, so. no, it's cool. Go ahead. We'll hook you guys up. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome to another episode of Elevated Canine Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Roel Guerra. And today... You know, it was kind of difficult today because we don't have a lot of space and this dude's arms are like, you know, three times <laughs> our arms. And uh, so anyways, <laughs> we got our guy, Justin Rigney here. Uh, what's up, Justin? How's it going, bro? Blessed, brother. How are you? I'm pretty good, man. Justin, Justin's here. Uh, you're going to be doing a seminar here? Yeah, man. So uh, I got called or, or came through a DM from the folks at the Long Beach Canine Association just down south in Long Beach. I guess it's a group of... Uh, of canine handlers and trainers from local agencies. I, I don't even know, to be honest with you, bro. They hit me up with a DM. I know the dude's handle. That's about it. I'm going to show up and uh, talk about some e-collars, man. So, I, uh, you know, the way things are with airlines, like things getting canceled nonstop. I was out doing a class in uh, Idaho a few months ago, bro. I got stuck in Dallas, missed a whole day of teaching. So, oh, man. So I came out a couple days earlier just to make sure that I didn't have any hiccups. Have so I knew I had some time, man. So I hit hey, you up. Hey, man, it worked out for us, for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. Um, Hey man, why don't we get started with uh, a little bit of how how you got started in the the dog world, and then uh, right we'll on. go from there. So for me and dogs, man, it's not so much a, a Hollywood script, man. It's not so much a Disney uh, huggy kissy deal. So <laughs> for me, growing up, bro, I was I was like born into like violence and addiction and chaos and madness, and uh, you know, m for me, dogs and animals were like my escape. And uh, so for me, as a kid growing up and all that, man, like humans were dangerous and untrustworthy, man. So I just gravitated towards animals. Like God put it on my heart to to want to know more about dogs and stuff. And and actually, horses were my first love, man. So I loved horses. Crazy about horses. I actually wanted to be a jockey, right? That would, I don't think that would work. <laughs> I, I discovered food, bro, and that, yeah. that dream died. So, uh, you know, we look back at our lives and you know, a lot of folks that, you know, are like dedicated or are really obsessed about shit. Sometimes you're you're pushed in that direction because of you know critical incidents or or kind of dire straits kind of shit. So that's a little bit my story. Definitely got an obsessive, addictive personality. When I get into shit, bro, like I'm I'm all in and I can't stop. And uh, for like me, like I said, horses and animals and baseball was that shit. You know, gym was like that for shit for me. Like the gym's like my longest addiction. I had a coach show me where the weight room was when I was about 14, and I haven't left since, man. So. You know, through that that uh, ignition, or you know, we're gonna talk about Nepo Po, but that drive and that ignition to do and learn more has been a lifelong obsession, bro. And like, I got off the plane at 9 a.m. yesterday, got into the car, and went right to a dog trial, man. Like yeah. so, some people saying, yeah. hey, "You're in fucking California, bro. Go go see the beach. Go do some shit. <laughs> yeah. I want to see dogs, man." Yeah, no, you got anything going on today? Like <laughs> right, and you can't you there's, you can't fake that, bro. It's it's either in you. I see it in you too, man. I yeah. know that you're about it. You're you're just hungry about it. You obsess about it. I see you know, you post stuff or like taking trips with the family and stuff yep. it's hard to shut it off man it is you can't shut it off yeah it really is a the, yesterday uh my wife took me off oh well she 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 took herself off of this collaborator post uh that i did when we were in italy yeah and uh, i'm like why why do you take it off she's like 
it was about the dog. It wasn't even about us, like the trip. I'm like, ah, oh, dang. Like, uh, I was like, well, it was about the trip. What are you talking? He's like, no, nah, you just had like three clips of a dog coming up to you and stuff. So, yep. but yeah. So anyway, I mean, it just it just happens like that. But uh, yeah. it is, bro. And it's uh, <clears throat> yeah. My old man d- dealt with substance abuse his whole life. He got sober when I was uh, in my early teens, man. But I I, I have that addictive person. I never had a drink in my life because of what I saw as a kid, but. That that addictive shit, bro. Like I dump it into usually productive things, man. Like even with police work, man. I, I was I was addicted to the streets, but on the good side, bro. I loved I loved hunting people with dogs. I love the whole hustle of the streets, man. So, but you know, like when I started with dogs, man, it was um I've been at it about thirty years, and wow. uh, I was very very grateful and blessed to grow up where I did because mm-hmm. back then there was none of this, bro. There was no platforms. All we had was like Leerberg videos, and those shits yep. were grainy and they skipped. I remember that song. Yeah, I remember it's in your head. That's early conditioning. Yep, for sure. So I was, I call it being a victim of your geography, man. So wherever you're at, you know, wherever you're living, it's those folks that are around you because you didn't have the platforms to dive in like we do today. You know, we're in the era of information. And back then you had to have some dude that knew some dude with an accent from over the pond that would come across and talk to you about dogs. And the folks that I was around from the very, very beginning, man, were were very gifted dog trainers and had a lot of experience. And uh, my buddy, Chris Byrne, is one of my dearest relationships, dearest friends today. He had a company called uh, Dogs Unlimited, where I kind of spun off the business name as kind of like credit for him. Um, he, he opened up his home. He opened up his business, his life, his brain. And, and just from the day I met him, gave me everything he had. And from that moment forward, I, you know, my ignition and desire to know dogs and learn dogs, it just, he accelerated. He showed me everything. My very first job in dogs was running a guard dog service. Really? Wow. So, yeah, dropping off asshole dogs into a, <laughs> like a junkyard or a car lot or construction lot at night. Or we had kennels on site, so we'd let the dog out. Some dangerous dogs. Yeah. Like, so my very, introdu- very beginning introduction to dogs were some dangerous dogs. And that was an experience that I, I'm very grateful for. So. I was learning puppy training, pet training, detection, you know, bite work, you know, sport dog, police dog, kennel management, like really had like a gift, bro. And it was, I put out a post recently about looking for someone who's looking for like an internship because mm-hmm. that was the greatest opportunity of my life, bro. He, he gave me a place to stay and I worked it off. I worked off my education um, by learning kennels, by learning dogs. Bro, today's folks, like, they fucking went crazy. Like, they got, like I was a slave driver asking them to fucking work oh, for free. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think <laughs> I read bro, that. I read like that, that you were crazy. looking. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, my, I just, pe- people aren't, they don't have the same they mindset, man. They don't have that hustle and hungry. So. Or, 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 yeah, like that, because somebody will take that, well, the right person is going to jump at that opportunity. Yeah. Like, yo, I'm going to teach you. You're going to work for me for free, but I'm going to teach you something that's going to be, you're going to be able to, you know monetize yeah right? man it's, and I, I just i don't get it man so the I, folks that were flipping out bro i said would you much rather me pay me thirty thousand dollars and pay a place because i'm giving them place to live too right yeah so would you much rather pay rent and tuition would you feel better about that <laughs> right no nah. so bro is anyway, anyway man so like i said back so now we're going back to like the early 90s like so my buddy Chris Byrne gave me my start, and he introduced me to some folks that were in a in, in the New England back in the '90s. I, I showed some back then, IGP, whatever the fuck mm-hmm. they're calling it these days, was a powerhouse, like producing big numbers, lots of hardware in the club, you know, with trophies on the podium. And bro, the dogs were monsters back then. The dogs were beasts. And uh, so I, you know, I, I played pro baseball once upon a time. I got released by the Braves. The only fucking job I got fired from. But so I was really? still a little bit of an athlete back then. Yeah. And they saw that and they gave me a sleeve, gave me a suit, and bro, I was just hooked. I was hooked because like 
the whole athleticism of decoying and the camaraderie of, of the club and the competitive, competitive spirit of right. dog sport was what fueled, like kind of tapped back into my, you know, pro baseball life and that life I had before. So it was, an, it was a very easy gravitation towards, you know, the dogs and especially decoying. I was like my little niche, man. So a lot of folks, um, weren't doing it at the time. And, and the folks that taught me, man, were, were really, really good. That's cool. So the, the club that we had, um, that was called the Connecticut Working Dog Association. That's where I grew up in the Northeast in Connecticut. Also shared the field with the Connecticut Police Working Dog Association. And the training director of the police group was also the training director of the IGP, a guy named Bill Scribner. He did both. He did sport dogs and did police dogs. And we know that a lot of times, especially back then, brother, cops did not want anything to do with civilians. Right. And I still didn't even have my idea in my brain to become a cop at that point. So I was decoying for the club, decoying, putting a suit on for the police dog club on, on weekly training nights. And then I would hear the war stories, bro, about the dog bites, the pursuits, the fights, the bailouts. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, that shit's for me, right? Yeah. I got to hunt people with a dog. Shit. <laughs> it's crazy man Get you bad look, people off the street <laughs> you look back on life and what kind of steers you in different directions when i was about 13 years old we adopted an all-black german shepherd he had been hit by a car um his front left leg was a peg leg the owner couldn't pay for the bills so the vet did the work and then put the dog up for adoption we got him coolest shit dog bro autopilot just just go with the flow mm -hmm. never made a peep and about Two o'clock in the morning. We had it several weeks. About two o'clock in the morning one night, he starts going batshit crazy, bro. So we just thought maybe it was a fucking animal, a raccoon or some shit outside. We'd like, we just hushed him up, put him back to bed. Woke up the next morning. My old man had two outboard motors on his boat, gone. <laughs> Whoops. They got, they got lifted. They got boosted that night. And, bro, that, and that fired me the fuck up because being a victim of a crime. But then right. in my brain, because of my, my desire to, to learn about dogs, I'm like, I am never not listening to a dog ever again. They're telling you something. You just have to have the mind to be able to receive it and understand it and then figure, that, figure out what they're saying. So sure. that moment spawned some shit in me, bro. So not only to listen to the animal, but being a victim of a crime, bro, oof. That pissed me off. Yeah. So I got to put those worlds together, man. So through my experience in, in sport dogs and pet dogs, getting to work with that, that police dog group in Connecticut was such a gift, bro, because then it just, the whole thing kind of just came forward for me, and, and it was just this epiphany. So back in 2000 in Connecticut, I, I was applying for police dog jobs and or, or as a police officer hoping to get in canine. There was like 300 dudes and chicks going for one spot, bro. Got like it. There's no, no growth, no movement. So a guy named Phil Holscher, if you remember him, he's I like OG. Yeah, he's like one of the, the godfathers of uh, Schutzen in this country. He would come up to Connecticut twice a year and put on an IGP clinic for my club. And him and I clicked. And he's like, you want to come to Florida? I got a spot for you, bro. So I was hitting dead ends um, with that shit. And he, and he just, it was just good. How old were you at this, at this time? Uh, I was probably, well, I became a cop when I was 28. So got I was it. probably about 26, 27 at the time. I'll be 50 pretty soon here. So, um... <laughs> Fucking like a lifetime ago, bro. Crazy. Even I'm telling these stories, you have flashbacks. But so Phil's like, bro, I got a spot. So a, a lady in his club gave me a place to stay. She let me set up kennels. Phil gave me pet training and protection work right away. So no brainer, bro. So moved down to South Florida late in 2000. Started applying for police jobs down there. And it was the opposite shit, bro. They could not find enough people. So I applied for the agencies I wanted. And one guy that was a, a, a handler in the IGP club was also like the number two, number three guy of a, the town of Davie, um, which is right outside Fort Lauderdale. And that's the agency I wanted, bro. They had a reputation of fucking dogs are just killing it on the street. 
and he knew the guys in the unit. So long story short, that's where I wanted. That's where I got my shot. So I got my chance to, to get into police work. Um, I went through my probationary period and I got into canine pretty quickly after that. Even before I got hired, I was out there catching dogs, you know, every right. week still. Again, that door was open for me and so so grateful for that opportunity. There were some of the first agencies to bring the Malawa to South Florida back in the early 90s, man, so or late 90s. So anyway, and all that stuff together, the first dog I got to use um, on the road was a dog that I bred. Uh, his name was Vader. He uh, was just a, a, I had a little, I had a little 50-pound squeaky female Mal. Cool little bitch, but she wouldn't even bite a biscuit, bro. But uh, right. she had MVBK and um, mostly MVBK blood behind her. That she was, be. yeah, her blood came from a guy named John Brown up in, up in Long Island, who okay. was the first guy to ever bring Bart over here to the States. And John had some beasts, some MVBK monsters, bro. Like nobody even knew what that shit was back then. So she had some of that blood. She was cool, but nothing you would ever consider breeding. But I bred it to a super, super strong police dog from the town of Lauder Hill, mm-hmm. which is like fucking hood bro like rough uh-huh. rough area <laughs> so that dog was a beast so produced that dog i saw him take his first breath bro on my living room floor i got to raise him up and and train him and deploy him and i saw him take his last breath too Dang. man so it was for me from being like a dog geek bro like to watch that dog evolve from a puppy to deploy it on the street where he did some damage bro and he was very good at his job for me right. that was like winning the world series man Nothing <laughs> man better. i can imagine <laughs> i mean yeah I've, I mean, I've had a, I've competed with a dog that was born. It was actually the first born. Really? My Corso that I, my first one that I competed with. So I, you know, I could only imagine. So, uh, so yeah, it was like a, you know, um, so to me it's like, I, I, I totally get it, but I can only imagine being on the street with the dog, like literally spending probably more hours with the dog than yeah. with your family or whatever. It, it's true, bro. It's a relationship you can't explain. I, I know, you know, you've been amazingly successful and I, you know, I played a little bit in sport too, but it's so hard to describe that relationship because when you're out there in the real world, hunting these people that want to kill you and the, and the dog is there for, for you, it, it's, it's undescribable, man. Like my last dog that I, I had three dogs in my career my last dog, Zeke, he's still around, man. He's, he's pushing nine years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, he got brought into the country when he was eight weeks old by my good friends Bobby and the two Sid Hugh. They brought him over from Germany. Very good. They have a very good understanding of pedigrees, and I'm not. I just I just worked the dog in front of mm-hmm. me, but I really trust their judgment. So I could see that he was a special puppy, man. So I worked with him. They still owned him at eight weeks till about four months. Did all the puppy bite building stuff, and and uh, he started teething. They got very busy with a personal business, so I ended up buying him when he was about seven months. So I got pretty much similar experience, not from birth, you know, mm-hmm. but very similar experience. And I and, uh, was actually involved in a shooting with that dog where it was a, kind of a tragic deal. And I look at it from two sides, man, the law enforcement tactics and the, the emotional side of someone losing their life. Right. But then I look at it from the dog side and the training side. And it was pretty unbelievable experience, man. So it was a suicide by cop call. Um, dude had a 14 inch knife. I'll leave out the, the details, but it's, yeah. you know, long story short, you ended up charging me with a knife. It was dark, man. It was uh, in a rural environment in Loxahatchee Groves in Florida. Hey, yes. Did he stab somebody before? Or? No, he was just, he had left a suicide note. He wanted us to come kill him. He, was gonna, he said, when we get there, he's going to try and kill us. So we kill him. Left the note. His mother was on the phone with 911. It took me like probably 20, 30 minutes to get there. We have a huge county. So they were waiting for me. So long story short, we get up, get to the house. It's dark. There's a little bit of ambient light from some street lights, but he starts walking away. Long story short, man, he, he ends up turning and charging me with a knife. Man. And I have my dog in, so I'm, I'm shitty with tactics, bro. So I, I can help folks with canine guys and, and gals with, with the dog side, but don't come to me for t- fucking tactics. So I'm, I'm left-handed. I shoot left-handed. 
but I had a bad habit of holding the leash in my left and I had my flashlight in my right. So I see this dude charging me. He raises up. I can see the the, the light kind of shining off the knife, bro. That motherfucker looked like a samurai sword, bro. Damn, 14-inch knife is humongous. That's big, bro. It's fucking huge. So I see him charging, right? So I transition from my leash to my right, drop my flashlight, unholster, and I can see this this dude has charged me like a fucking Olympian, bro, covering some ground. So Zeke's like 90. <laughs> bro, like. Fuck. I just imagine this dude, bro. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> bro, Go he ahead. looked like he was 30 feet tall yeah. and fucking just two inches away from me. And it's crazy, bro, like how you your body reacts like to things like that. Like, I call it visualization, man. Not to sidebar some shit, but I had a, a crazy eccentric coach when I was playing baseball. And he taught me visualization. Mm -hmm. Basically, as you're sitting here, a lot of times I do it when I'm driving is that your body's relaxed, your mind can re go over like mechanics, go, go over situations, can go over ranges of motion and skills and, and practice in your brain without even moving. And it's teaching your body muscle memory. Yeah. Right. So visualizations of fucking is like a deep, deep training technique. And it hundred percent worked for me. Cause I, I sucked at shooting, bro. Like I, I would fucking miss some paper and, and, and certification. Cause I didn't give a fuck about it. I just was boring as shit. To right. Me. But I like a madman would rehearse scenarios in my mind. I'd pull this car over. This dude's charged me with an AK. Guy coming at me with a knife. I'm tracking. This happens. That happens. And I would rehearse these situations in my brain. This situation, my body, it was like an out-of-body experience. I went completely on autopilot. And I fucking, after it was all said and done, I'm like, yo, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. So this dude's charging me. I switch my leash to my left, my right from left to right, drop the flash. I unholster, fucking dump my magazine. I don't know how many times I shot. Didn't hear one fucking shot. Your body goes into auditory exclusion, right? And I teach these, like a lot of pet folks about auditory exclusion that don't want to use the e-collar, right? Right. Like, I don't want to use that tool. It's an it's a electric chair around my dog's neck. When you're in a hyper state of vigilance, when you're in survival, when you're in the state where you're trying to survive or you're hyper vigilant about a predator pursuing prey, you don't need your ears. You don't need your ears to survive. The energy, the blood flow, the concentration goes to the parts of your body that will help you survive. Wow. So for the dog perspective, when a dog's chasing that cat around across a busy street, they can't hear you. It's not that they're right. giving you the finger. Their fucking ears don't work. Right. But they can feel the tactile communication through the e-collar, which will save their life. Yeah. Little sidebar on dogs. Yeah. No, that's, and we're going to get deeper into that. Yeah. So sure. this dude's charging me, bro. Transition, dump my magazine. He goes to the ground. He spins. So after the medical examiner came and I saw the report, I hit him. I shot eight times. I hit him four, three in the chest. And the last one spun him. And as he's spinning, he hit the ground. But as he's spinning, I see the knife tumble out of his hand. So the knife goes flying. And he falls in a way where his now his right hand is, is on my side. It's hard to explain. There's a little hedge between us, probably about uh, thigh high. Mm -hmm. So he goes down over the hedge. I see him drop the knife. And now his right hand is facing me. And I can see it's empty. Like I would not deploy a dog on a right. guy with a knife. It's, it's, it's a suicide mission for the dog. Yeah. But now that I see he had separated from the knife. And he's still flopping around the ground. Now, again, I didn't have the Emmy report right there, right? That shit's happening on the fly. So it's, it's dark as shit. I had no idea if I even hit him. Again, mind you, I'm not the greatest shot, even yeah. in practice. So I know he went to the ground. I holster. He's still kind of flopping around. I give two announcements. Let me see your hands. No response. So my, my, my intention was to send the dog to 
staple him on the arm and drag him further away from where I thought the knife was. Yeah, get closer to the mic. Yeah, sorry. So my, my intentions were to pull the dog away from where I thought he probably dropped the knife. And the dude, the dog jumped over that hedge. And the dude was wearing like a, like a nylon kind of windbreaker. So when the dog hit the ground, he kind of, the dog's chin skipped up off his shoulder. And then his fucking canines went from temple to temple, bro. Right, right across the dog guy's face. And then I, there was a moment of like a pulse. And then I see the guy died right there. So the dog's on him. I go get the dog off, pull the dog back, call in the backup to secure the guy. They pull him just away, handcuff him. And the fucking, he was almost laying on top of the knife, man. So I get the dog off him. I turn around and I mentioned that his mother had, had called 911, bro. Oof. She was fucking watching the whole thing. Oh my God. Bro, brutal. Brutal, just tragic. Wow. Um, so, does do you do you pl- I mean, do you play that back often, or you know, for me, it's uh, it, when you're when you're in that shit, and I I talked about my childhood, like like growing up in violence, it's normalcy for me, and and the world completely fucking slows down. Like I I have a million stories of dog bites, bro. Like I do my best work in chaos, like shit kind of slows down i can really it's hard to explain like unless you've been in those situations right. like it's like the the timeline slows down you're you're very acute in your mannerisms and your functions and your and your and and the, and the work that you do and the skills like it's so hard to explain bro and uh in, in a lot of ways like that shitty upbringing those things that i saw i'm grateful for because it prepared me it prepared right. me for life and uh so you know once i got that dog off man i turned around saw her there i'm like what a fucking horrible thing for mother to have to witness. I mean, it was his day, bro. He chose that. You know, right. I, have, I, I had no choice. I'm not, I, I'm going home to see my yeah. wife and my kids, bro. Dress, like, yeah. and, and those, and the deputies behind me, like that's my responsibility. So I, I have no ill feelings to that. It is a tragic loss of life. Right. And, uh, and then I got sued, you know, for it, you know, uh-huh. I got sued for that, which you know, ended up winning all that, but it still was two years of a fucking headache to wow. deal right. with that shit. But you know, when you look at it from the tactics well, what side, was there, what, what were they? I mean, it was pretty obvious what had happened, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's a it's a cleanest shoot you can have. But from there's a couple houses around that had really shitty video camera footage. Mm-hmm. You you can't even barely see me in it. You know, without going over all the tactics stuff, like the guy started to walk away. That I I think his intentions were maybe to bait us in, to mm-hmm. maybe pull us away from the house so his mother didn't have to see it, right? And it started quicker than maybe he planned. Um, but there's two camera angles that were really shit. So the, the, the what happened originally when he was walking away, they shot him in the back with uh, this less lethal, like a beanbag round. Mm-hmm. It's, like the, it's like the equivalent of a 110-mile-an-hour fastball. Like it, it knocks the fuck out of most of the population. It just pissed him the fuck off, bro. And he had, his tox was clean, bro. Not one drop of fucking of drugs inside him. He was a paranoid schizophrenic, hadn't taken his meds, bro, but that, that, that round, that less lethal 40-millimeter round, put him into fucking orbit, bro. So that, that shit started quicker than he probably planned, but, um, you know, just from the point where, uh, you know, I got the dog off and I turned around and saw his, his mom yeah. sitting there, bro. Tragic shit. Yeah. But in, Flo- in Florida, and, and like most places, you can do your job perfectly, buy the book, get arrested, lose your job, and get sued personally. Like, it's crazy. It was a big part of why I, I left, you know, yeah. there's other reasons why I left law enforcement early, but, but then you look at it from the, the dog side, like the dog geek in us, man, mm-hmm. like I almost teared the fuck up, you know, being so proud of that animal, <sighs> right. like, like raising him up, 
And having him, like, bro, I put 40, I mean, put eight rounds right between his fucking ears. Like, so he's at the end of the harness going batshit. And I'm right between his ears, <laughs> dumping fucking rounds. The dude didn't even blink. Right. Went right in and fucking handled business. Like, for me, it, it doesn't get any fucking wilder than that shit. Right. You know, so having him there and having him, you know, reach his genetic potential and see that shit evolve. And, you know, he did some, he did some good work, man. So that's for awesome. me, that's like. That was Invader. That was your second one. That right? was my my third one. That was your third one. Zeke, who I got still it. have now. Got it. Got yeah, it. He's got a it. sable dog that I post him every now and then. Still, cool he's, man. He's an old man, but that was, that awesome. was a, yeah. That's pretty intense. Yeah, that's nuts. I wonder if the dog is also going through the same things you were talking about, as far as the world slowing down. The you know your your uh, motor skills are a little more refined. Yep. I'm sure, the dog is going through the exact same thing in that moment. It's crazy when you look at the parallels between what our bodies do and what a dog's body does. And um, I'm sure he was deaf after those shots. Like, I'm, probably. I guarantee you he wasn't hearing anything. <laughs> probably. His ears are probably ringing. Yes. But he stayed He stayed in the fight, and that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, for, bro, like. So what, is that, is, that a, is that genetics? It is, man. And, you know, and after that happened, I'm like, you know, I did a little bit of gunfire exposure to this dude, but probably didn't prepare him like I should have. Like, and you, I'm sure it happens with you, is that when you're the trainer, for your unit or for your squad, bro, your team, like your dogs come out last. Like you're the last one to right. fucking work your dog. Always. Like always, if they get out and you're burnt as fuck. Like there's that saying, like the shoemaker's kids has the worst pair of shoes, right? <laughs> you don't want to mm -hmm. fix your own shit. So after that, I'm like, you know what? I didn't do a whole lot of fucking gun. So I believe it's genetic trait. He comes from a blood, from, from blood. Uh, fuck, man, I, I could spit it out here. but I'm not good with yeah. or anything. So Strong, yeah, a guy named uh, Jan Cox, who's a, a well-known IGP guy. He, it's his bloodline that is known to produce, um, like mink, croc line, known to produce a lot of aggression. A lot of, and he had it, bro. And I saw it very young. And when he was about six months, seven months, I could see my kids were in his crosshairs, bro. Like I, my kids never met that motherfucker, never petted him, never fed him, yeah. never looked at him. He's an evil. There's two people in this world that can get their hands on him. It's me and my wife. He's really my wife's dog, bro. I took him, I rented him to go to work. I was in two pretty bad car wrecks on duty and uh, they had to fucking wake her up to come get him out of the car. Cause Dang. <laughs> yeah, nobody else could. So, Oof. yeah. So, uh, Man, so you get out of uh, law enforcement in what year? Uh, twenty eighteen is when I retired, man. Twenty eighteen, yeah. Retired. Shit went south for me. I like I had the shooting, and then uh, then I had a situation that popped up where I wasn't happy with the way some dogs were being treated in my unit. They were fucking starving these dogs to mm -hmm. make them perform. Like, you know, bro, I don't have to tell you like cops and egos and bullshit. Like, we had sixty dogs department wide. We had a big agency. Our our budget for canine alone was four million dollars a year, bro. Wow. Not for the agency, the fucking unit. So. But there's always that ego and shit. Like there was, a lot of the dudes were receptive when I came up and, and, and wanted to hear what I had to say, wanted to learn. But there's some folks that are threatened by shit like that. Like I, when I went to that agency, after I left Davey, I probably had, you know, 15 years in professional dog training. So, and I had seen some things and done some things. And again, some people receive that and want to know more. And some people are threatened by that shit. So right. mm -hmm. I was a trainer at night. And these other cats were the trainer during the day. Got it. Long story short, bro, like they were fucking starving dogs to make them perform. And if I showed you pictures of you, throw the fuck up, right? So I called a meeting, try to fix it, simply to just handle this shit in-house, mm -hmm. to get these dogs fed, to show them food-based training, how to do it correctly, bro, because right. it is the science. It is the science. But when you withhold calories, bro, to make dogs perform, and bro, these dogs are monsters. Like they're a fucking $10,000 green one-year-old police dog that will take your hand off for food. Right. But they're still fucking withholding, and the shit that they are feeding is that compressed roll of, of red barn uh -huh. shit. Yep. Bro, it's like, 
this fucking table has more caloric value than that shit. So long story short, bro, I fucking just wanted to fix that shit in-house. They, they use it as an opportunity to get me the fuck kicked the fuck out. I'll leave out the boring details. So yeah. they booted me out of canine. This is right. This is after my shooting. So my shooting was, um, 2016 new year's going into 2017. Like it was like the 30th of January, 31st early morning hours. And then this shit popped off in canine around March, April of 2017. So it took us about another year to plan an exit strategy, bro. Because the way shit works in law enforcement, man, like when you fight the man, when you fight the system, you're fucking marked. And my agency is a straight mafia. It's, it's changing now. And there's some really good people in place now. But back then, it's a fucking dirty mafia. So I, I had to leave to fight these motherfuckers. Because when they booted me from Canon, it cost me about $30,000 $30, a year and overtime and assignment pay and trainer's pay. And, bro, I was in police work to work a dog, man. I love, I love the hustle, the street. I love dope games and shit like that, man. But I, I was in it to work a dog. And I always knew that I could make a living training dogs. And I always had. I always had two jobs, bro. I always had four or five boarding trains and pet dogs while I was a cop. You know? So I always knew that the, that market was there if I wanted it. Right. And what was a shitty situation, getting sued on the shooting and then me following a whistleblower lawsuit against my agency for fucking conjuring up that bullshit and booting me out, we, I had to leave the fight them fair. And, and God's plan, bro, opened doors in Tennessee for me with, with a facility and some amazing people and some amazing opportunities. My wife had retired several years before me, and she always wanted to, to move up to Tennessee. She's a native Floridian, been fucking melting her whole life, and she wanted to see some seasons change, <laughs> yeah. bro. So it was amazing uh, the way the timing of everything worked, um, absolutely out of my hands. It's completely God's plan, and, and uh, it was the greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings of my life to get the ability to leave law enforcement. It wasn't quite on my terms at the time, but now in retrospect, bro, like it was supposed to happen. Right. And now you fast forward the tape. I mean, I've been retired coming up in four and a half years and how the world, the world was against us then, but now you cannot do the job. There's no job to go back to. Right. Like even if I fucking wanted to, like I don't, I don't miss it. Bro, I got a lot of war stories, a lot of fucking dog bites, a lot of fights, a lot of pursuits, a lot right. of fun shit to talk about. And uh, I feel like I dodged a bullet getting out when I did, bro, because fuck, man, my buddies that are there now, they, they're not even deploying their dogs. Some of the best dogs I had my, I trained, bro, that were mm -hmm. incredible dogs, bro, haven't deployed in fucking two years. Dang. Just sitting Just in the back of the, of the car. This, everything's going right now. Yeah, there's no fucking job left to do, man. So that's kind of the short story, man, yeah. you know? It's crazy, like, uh, you know, because sometimes you don't, you don't see, you know, what's going to happen and you think, oh, man, like, things are going, not going yeah. good for me, but feel that there's always a, a plan, you know there what I mean? Is. And uh, one, one of my buddies, uh, he, he said, like, you know, he gave me this quote, like, hey, there's always going to be another horse to jump on top of. He's going to take you yes. wherever it needs to lead you yeah. to, and then another one is going to come from there. So, yeah, man, everything happens for a reason. And You see, you see those memes, bro, like... Like, you'll be thanking God for that plan that did not work out. Exactly. And that's, bro, it couldn't be more true. And that's happened so many times in my life. And being patient to trust the process is so yeah. hard. I wanted to be a sheriff, too. I, was, I wasn't cut out for it at the time. <laughs> yeah. I, think now, I think my, my head wasn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't all there. So <laughs> I'm glad it didn't work out for me. And, you know, yeah. now I have this, so it's all good. Yeah, but Sure. Yeah, but, I almost yeah. lost a finger doing construction. And, uh, <laughs> but it was a blessing in disguise because yeah. I wouldn't be here. Right? And you're exactly. like, man, I almost, be, you know, I I'd can't be out work. there in the heat right now. Yep. You know, it, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, cr it's crazy how things work out. They man. do. Yeah. And like in law enforcement, bro, you, you think, and I believe this, bro, like I'm, 
you and I were talking at lunch, but loyalty is a big thing for me. Like, right. there's a lot of fucking hollow shells of humans, bro, that you believe that you have these deep relationships with, man. Like, literally, you fucking bleed with these motherfuckers. You hunt and you go after armed criminals, bro, and you hunt and you bleed and you fight and you die and you, and you, you break bread and you think that they're these deep relationships, bro. And then when the shit comes, you find out who the fuck really your friends are. Right. And uh, it's an awakening, man. And there's a couple on, I can count on one fucking hand you know yep and it's uh the sheriff literally gave the entire unit a gag order they talked to me they're fucking gone wow and you probably had a pretty close relationship to this I thought, person I yeah thought. a lot of a lot of what i thought because i'm all in bro i cannot fake it and what what tears me the fuck up bro which i work on my patience and i work on my delivery is is being a coward bitch bro like that's a very difficult thing for me like you fuck i fuck up all i'm a professional fucker upper bro like i fuck up things constantly but my self-awareness is pretty acute bro like i i may not catch it in the moment i'm like man i could have fucking done that better and i will i will make amends i will apologize i will own the things that i fuck up right what makes me fucking like a furious bro is a bitch who was on the run it will not man the fuck up you know and even just to have a conversation bro about look man this shit didn't go this way we wanted it to or Bro, but just a bitch makes me yeah, insane. Dude. I hear you. It's, I know exactly. <laughs> you I probably know feel like about, <laughs> fucking boy. I, I know what you're talking about. And yeah, I mean, sometimes the expectations we have towards people, you know, uh, you know, they're not met. And and yeah. and and like like we were saying, like I I mean, like we we mess up. I mess up. And you know, uh, but yeah, you have to be you know a man about it yes. and like just eat it up, eat some crow, and be yep. like, hey, I messed up. I apologize. You know, I could have done this better. But some people don't have that, man. It's it's the uh, the catalyst of growth, bro, is understanding where your failure's at and learning from them. Like, we will learn so much more from our failures than our victories, man. 100%. And um, I'm just to, if you're aware of it, you know. Yeah, which will lead us into um, into some 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 dog questions yeah. for you. Uh, so, you know, do you, what, what do you think is, uh, I mean, let's, let's just get started from, from uh, how you view dog training. You know, what are some of the, the steps you take? Uh, one of the some of the first steps you take that are mostly important when it comes to dog training, uh, something that you could you know give our listeners and our viewers, something that maybe they're not paying attention to that you, it's one of the some of the most important things for you. Well, there's a Nipopo, right, which uh, is a copyrighted system, you know, developed by uh, by Michael and Bart Bellin, who's you know top trainers on the planet. You know, they're on another level. It's um, we ask a simple question, man, and I ask this of my pet owners sport competitors, police dog folks, personal protection, anybody that has their hands on dogs, why does a dog do what it does? And it's a very simple question on its face, and, but if you can't answer it, we're stuck. And it's, it's, it's very simple that a dog looks to find their advantage in every single situation that it's in. And we have, you know, in pet training, we, we deal with the fur moms and fur dads constantly. And, and there's a, a lot of canine folks, police dog handlers, that believe that the dog is doing things to please the human. Right. It is absolutely fucking not true. Like in South Florida, this, you know, in August right now, it's probably 130 degrees in the fucking pavement. Like it's brutal. Right. Brutal. My fucking dog did not put his nose down in the ghetto in August in South Florida to find motherfucker to find bad guys for belly rubs and a Kong. Right. No. He wanted to hunt to satisfy his predatory instinct as a predator. He wanted to bite and he wanted to fight. It's not the food acquisition prey that we've we've modified for our purposes, right. but this motherfucker wanted to hunt and fight, and uh, that was his sole intention. So when you look at the fact 
for me that every single thing a dog does 24 7 365 is to satisfy their predatory instincts they're absolutely narcissistic creatures right and i'm, I'm painting this picture of them being like this, this being and this creature wants nothing to do with us. That's not the case at all because their number one drive and desire is their pack instinct, is to be with their people, to be with their other animals. And that's to varying degrees, right? Like there's this little six pound demonic creature that's sitting on my wife's lap right now. Yeah. A fucking chihuahua. <laughs> He's an evil little bitch, bro. He hates everybody and everything but her. He needs that one person. They, even the most antisocial dog needs one person because, yeah. you know what, they don't got thumbs, they can't open the fridge themselves, and right. they can't survive on themselves, or, of course, the environment we've created for them. But, so they all need one. But that, that pack desire is one of their greatest needs that they have, and, and understanding that that is what allows us to connect and cohabitate and, and really kind of evolve as a relationship. So when you understand the simple question of why does a dog do what it need, it does is to satisfy its needs as a predatory and you know as a predatory creature and that that means increasing good feelings like they want all the good shit in their life and they want to avoid conflict and discomfort right right and when you understand that basic template then you can start moving forward as far as motivating to do the things that you want or adding some consequences some mild consequences to eliminate or slow down or minimize the unwanted things that they do and we talk to our pet trainers and, and, and working dog folks, it's, it's very simple. That behavior falls in two categories, right? Wanted behavior and unwanted behavior. There's right. no Disney magic, bro. There's no, no like eclectic fucking my dog's thinking on another higher level of this right. blah, blah, fucking blah. It's black and white, wanted behavior and unwanted behavior. And every single behavior the dog does, 365, 24-7, has the specific purpose and of goal of meeting their predatory needs. And we break those behaviors down. What is behavior? Oh, sleeping, sniffing, barking, eating, drinking, mm -hmm. running, jumping. Everything is sure. a behavior. Mm -hmm. Everything is designed as, as a, an effort, an expression to fulfill their needs as a survivor, right? Of course, the multi-poos and shit that goes in little purses, we think that they don't have those needs, but right. they absolutely fucking do too. And again, things are watered down to a, more, a lesser version. But when you understand that template, you understand that, that, that approach to connecting with the animal, not to say the rest is easy, but unless you can answer that question and then in the dog in front of you, figure out what are its advantages, what are it needs, what is it trying to do? And then through Nipopo, we've, they've developed a system that, that really connects deeply with the animal, that empowers the animal to understand that they can meet their needs through wanted engagement, wanted behavior. And it's a, you know, I, I've known Bart, excuse me, since about, 2006 when he came over to do a he used to do the weekend seminars quite frequently mm -hmm. before it was even called nipopo before he, i believe he even knew his wife and uh to watch the system evolve and and it, it's an ever-evolving system and it is not a cookie cutter system so it's open to the interpretation of the user right and my version of nipopo could be different from pat stewart's from patrick lockett from michael donnell and, and those guys all the practitioners are out there deep in the system um doing it and bart and michael's it's my interpretation and my application is different. And that's what's cool about it, man. You know, people jump on social and talk shit about name one person in any sport that's gone on the podium with Nipopo. It's impossible to answer because everybody's interpretation is different, man. Got know, it. Everybody's use, usage is different, man. So that's the one thing, bro, is understanding why a dog does what it does, how it operates, what are its needs, and how can we create an environment to fulfill the dog's needs through wanted behavior? Yep. And create an environment where ideally the dog self-corrects and finds that he doesn't meet his needs with unwanted behavior. 
whether it's counter surfing or dumpster diving or excessive barking, we have to have a system. We have to have an environment that is crystal clear to an animal who cannot rationalize and reason. Got it. I have a question for you. Um, so if you have a dog that his needs are, he wants to chase, he wants to play or he wants to play, but then we're trying to give him food to, you know, to get him to do something. Right. So dog wants to chase. We're trying to get him to do something for us for food. How does that, how does that work? Cause I feel like it's almost like if, if I want to go play a game of basketball or something, but instead you want to feed me, it's not satisfying the need of me wanting to go play. Right. How does, uh, how do you, do you, how do you see that in dogs? Like how, how do we, um, why does that work or how does that work? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, because I always have a problem with that, with that, like, Hey, like literally like we're, I'm trying to get this dog to work for food, but he really rather go play. Right. So, you know, there's that pre-mag principle, man, that we can apply. It's basically like you got you to gotta do your chores before you can go out and play kind of shit. We can try that. And that's when you're chasing the clock in a board and train or you drive two hours to the club once a week, twice a week. Before you keep going, let's talk to people what the pre-mag principle is. I, I, I know what it is, but yeah. I think it, and, and guys, a lot of this is I'm asking it because I have my idea of it, of why it works. And, but I, I'd rather hear yours. So why don't we go into the pre-mag principle and then we go from there. And, and I'll probably butcher it too, bro. It's all good. Yeah. So we have our own interpretation. And, you know, I got a buddy of mine named Armin Winkler, who's a very phenomenal, you know, gifted trainer in his world and does a lot of great things. He's very deep and stuck on terminology that we mm -hmm. can't go outside the original, like, Skinner box. Yeah. We cannot. There's no human influence in the Skinner box. A human cannot be present in the Skinner box. Just a rat, you know, right. dunking a basketball. Like, it's evolution, bro. So we got to evolve from the terms, man. Like, and who put that fucking rat in the box, bro? He didn't, he wasn't born there. Fucking right. human. <laughs> so anyway, so my version of pre-Mac and I dumb things down in a way that my caveman mentality will help maybe mm -hmm. some other folks understand is that let's, I'll, I'll paint a picture. You want the dog to take the ball in the presence of the decoy. And a lot of dogs won't, they won't take the tug. They won't take the ball in the presence of the decoy. Cause I want that high value reward of hitting the dude in the suit. Why take the appetizer when the main course is sitting right there? Right. So what we do is that we have to create an environment where we're at a, a pretty far distance from the decoy, so we're not two feet away where the dog's in the ultimate state of stimulation and his ultimate drive state where he wants to go, go, go. You want to go way down range so the dog says, that a fucking decoy over there? I think that's a mm -hmm. fucking decoy. Off from the ball. And if he's like, uh-uh, I think that's a decoy, negative punishment, put him in the car. Negative punishment equals? It means simply that we're taking, removing the dog from the environment that he wants to be. We're withholding things that he wants mm -hmm. to punish him for the, uh, he did not achieve the target behavior. So we're going to remove the dog or remove the stimulus from the environment where he now says, fuck, I lost. Got it. And it's a very powerful quadrant. Again, that's a quick version of it. That when nothing wins, like losing for a dog, if you want a dog to change its, its tactics and it has a deep desire for one specific behavior, when you remove that opportunity, the dog will absolutely change its tactics to achieve that behavior that it wants. So in this situation, the dog wants to bite the decoy, right? Mm -hmm. Put him in a car, take a couple minutes, take him back out, go to the exact same spot, the same decoy, same distance. Does it again, put him away. What will happen over time is the frustration of losing and not being able to go forward. He will take that frustration and put it into the ball. Maybe it's just a quick jab. He says, fuck, let me go. Mark, Stellan, go bite. Yeah. Simply showing the slightest interest into the ball, go bite the decoy. Indirect. And again, this isn't a perfect fluid situation where it may, you may fluctuate back and forth. 
take you put him in out, take him, bring him back to the same spot. Spot you set him up. He sees a decoy. You offer him the ball. He may say, eh, eh, "You let me go bite." I'm negative punishment again. Again, at some point in time, the dog will realize that by accepting the reward that you have is the gateway to getting what they really want. Right. So a lot of times, and then it, it does evolve, but the problem with it, it takes time and patience. 100%. So folks that drive two hours one way to the club and work one day a week, they're not going to dedicate that time right. to doing pre-MAC. But if you have a team, you have the ability to do this repetitiously, it's a very effective way. Yeah. To so basically pre-MAC, you're saying is, you got to do this before you can get this. Yep. And it becomes a, uh, you have to take this. Yes. You have to take whatever I have, whether it be food, ball, whatever. Yes. Got it. I, I, I think that's one of the most important things you have to teach a dog yes. in the beginning, yep. uh, especially like if you're going to be dabbling in protection sports, like the direct and indirect uh, rewards are huge. Huge. Yep. Uh, that's, I think for me, is probably one of the most important things that I could teach somebody that's, that's yep. uh, you know, doing dog training. Yep. Um, and then teaching the dog that, like you said, you bet you have to take what I have or else you can't get to right. that ever. Yep. You know, eat your veggies before you get the dessert, you know, yep. and, and it can become powerful. So then the dog then starts to express or realize that there's a lot of value in that to get the things that they want. So in your situation where you're in a pet pet situation where the dog won't take your food, but he wants to go play with other dogs or other people. It could be chasing a squirrel, whatever. Well, the problem with the squirrel is you can't control that fucker, right? Yeah. So you had to have something of desire that the animal wants that you can control the outcome, where you can control the environment, that he can get paid on your cue, not so much his cue, and, and fucking squirrels, you know, there's no hope there. Right. <laughs> so let's, let's use the example. He wants to maybe go play with uh, other dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So... You have a couple of cohesive dogs that he's cool with. You put them in a little separate pen. And let's say you wanted to go to place, but he's like, my dogs, my boys are over there. I want to go play. He understands release words. He understands a little bit of leash pressure. So you have the place board in a close proximity to where he, he knows where you can just, you can mark, let him run to the gate to let him go play. So this situation, we're going to use negative reinforcement. Not not so much pre-MAC, but it's because we're going to make, make use consequence, it. make him do it. So a little leash pressure guidance when he gets one paw on place, mark, go play. Just for a couple seconds, reel him in, do it again. He's going to realize at some point in time that when he gets to the board, he gets the reward he's looking for. Right. When it comes to reward and punishment, if you don't have the ability to to manipulate the environment for your benefit, you're kind of lost. And that's why you can't free shape a dolphin in the ocean. The fucker don't need you. Right. right. So you got to take that fucker and put him into a fish tank in SeaWorld and then own his brain and mm -hmm. own, own all the Everything. consequences, right? So that's the environment setting up is very important how you set that up to make it clear to the dog. You know? And then right. if you can put the other dogs in it down so they're not bonkers at the gate saying, ah, let him out, let him out, you know? So you can have that chemistry is cool. Dogs are in a down. And then when you mark to let him go play, that's their release as well. So then the chemistry is like, oops, the chemistry is contagious, bro. And it's everybody's on board, you know? And we do that a lot of my, my go-home lessons. Like the owners are the biggest distraction once a dog's ready to go home because right. you can never recreate that relationship. You know? I've got dogs that have, as a prerequisite, have come from rescue into the program and then go home. So that's a little bit different. But for the most part, there's a pre-established relationship. Mm -hmm. So when the folks come into our board, our board and train program go-home lesson, they're our first distraction. Then we do the no jump game right away during the introduction and how they interact with the dog during that no jump exercise is very, very great teaching opportunity to teach them how to manage their dog's behavior. So 
as it's, as the session kind of evolves and we start to show them place and down and sit and all the behaviors the dog's been taught, the release to go interact with the owners before I've turned the owner, the leash over to the owner, they're the reward system. Got it. That's cool. That's the first time I heard of that. I'm yeah, like, because uh, my dogs don't go home clickers and treats, bro. I'm, right. I, I am, I am four, four quadrant balanced. I click and click and feed. If a dog can go on existential food and eat through the entire training program, that's great. Not every dog will. But when my dogs go home, they're not, there's no treats. There's no clicking. It's verbal and physical praise is the number one reward source. And then in, the, in that interaction and in that first go-home lesson, the owners being the reward, they get to experience that, that process. Yeah. You're yeah. basically using, I mean, yeah, you're, you're using them. Something that there are, you know that the desire for the, the dog to go to the owner is, yes. is going to be a reward. Yes. They're going to want that. So why not use that to your advantage? Use, uh, make, make the dog do something before he can get access to that. And then you take them away, right? Yes. And make them do something yep. else. Give them access to that. Now, how, how would that be if, uh, do you think it has to be a release or do you think that it could be room service there with the owner coming to Both, them? Yeah. So if I'm struggling, like it, it, this is the problem with our world, bro. You never know how it's going to go until 100%. the owner shows up, bro. Like I've had, I've done that no jump game for fucking 20 minutes, bro. Until the dog comes back to earth, <laughs> you know, yep. like, whew, and then I've had it. It's two, two seconds bro. I had, <laughs> Two chi- one chick, she came down from Michigan, bro. It's like the most heartbreaking lesson. Because a kid that works for me now, Lewis, we call him Loodle. Mm-hmm. He was a blowout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great kid. But he, he connected so deeply with his mouth. Nerve bag, bro. Nerve bag blue Malinois, bro. Like, don't, mm-hmm. Super stressed. When the owner came to do the lesson, he looked at her and was like, What's up? It was all over Lewis, bro. Yeah. Like, fucking heartbreaking. Didn't care. <laughs> Didn't care. So, but no, for the most part, like, the owners are, like, the biggest right. reward and distraction. And it goes back to what we said with the whole initial question of what, what does the dog do to find its advantage? It, right. It's their pack instinct, bro, that is such a high reward. And the, the reason why dogs come into our program is because they've gotten free love, free food, free attention, free, tra- mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't make sense to right. them. It's funny, too, because, like, you know, if, if, you're a, if you're a new dog trainer, you could, uh, you, if, you've, if you're new, you probably haven't experienced some of this stuff, and you will at some point where you think you, the dog's, like, trained. <laughs> and then the owner comes, you let them meet, and then it all goes, goes like the dog shit. does not oh, listen right anymore yep. whatsoever. Right and, and I always think it's funny because it happened to me, and, and now the way I, I run my, you know, my drop-offs or whatever, it's like I, I'm aware that this is going to happen. So I, I would rather even, like, then meet somewhere real quick and then I'll put them up in like a reset. Like we'll do it all over oh, yeah, again yeah. just to like yeah. dwindle that down. Or if they can, can come during the boarding train one time to get that out of the system. Yeah. I think it is also mm. beneficial, yeah. but I like, I like, I, this is the first time I've heard something like that. I'm going to definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, w- I was going to ask, do you, um, do you set up scenarios where the reward is not the treat or the ball and where the reward is actually something else the dog wants. And do you use that as a training session for your boarding trains? We can. It, it kind of depends what it is, man. And again, we're always chasing the clock, you know. Yeah. So it's crazy what I've found with, for example, let's say it's, the dog won't take food, right? He won't take any, even for free, bro. You get to the point where, like, I'm all about food training, bro. I, I don't want the fucking animals losing any weight, bro. It's, yeah, bro. It's, I'm on such high alert. Yesterday. Oof. Especially because, like, my whole lawsuit against my agency, bro, like, mm-hmm. weight on dogs is a very personal thing for me. And, you know, some dogs are gonna, you know, they're metabolizing different. We have, you know, six by ten runs where, you know, it's not the dog's turn to get out and train. They're more active than they would be on their couch at home. Right. I mean, there's, there's reasons. But 
if the food-based training is not working, you must change the system. 100%. And, and, and what's, what I've found over time is that it's a wild kind of uh, situation where it's, it's their nerves. Their, their nerves are fired up, and it's shutting off hunger. And I use stupid analogies to hope, like, to teach folks about dogs and animals and or how fear. they fear. Yeah, it's fear, bro. Yeah. So you imagine that there's an elk eating in Yellowstone, bro, on the grass, the luscious green grass on God's earth, where that elk is just devouring that fucking infinite buffet, right? All of a sudden, the wolf comes up over the horizon. <laughs> oh shit! Now the chase is on. Now the the elk is now in flight for its life. It's right. in full pursuit. Homeboy is not thinking about the lush lettuce that's under his hoofs as he's running for his fucking life. He's actually dumping his anal glands. He's dumping his bowels and his fucking bladder as he's running for his fucking life, not thinking about food. So while the animal's in flight, hunger shut off. So what I found, man, is that by using light leash pressure on a slip lead, and I got to plug Complex Canine, bro, the folks I met at your place, their slip leads are fucking gold, bro. Just a little slight leash pressure to place, not even saying a word. Bro, once you eliminate the option of flight, and now the animal has to deal with a slight pressure to undo that. Again, it's in their DNA how to undo pressure. We didn't create that. God created that. When they undo that pressure, now you're occupying space in their brain about how to undo this pressure. Flight is now removed. They realize there's no more flight. Now I have to work and figure out how to undo this pressure. And it's very light. Right. Then you see the, like the nerves settle, and then hunger comes back. Bro, I have to film it. It's happened to me a million times. You're offering caviar, bro. These dogs won't take it. Mm-hmm. Right. Leash pressure, num, 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 become fucking hungry, hungry hippo, bro. It's hey, wild. That was some elevated, uh, some elevated <laughs> advice right there. For all my trainers out there, if you're not listening to this, I mean, this yeah. is a little private, se- this is a little seminar you guys are getting right here. <laughs> um, I love that, man. That, yeah. that was, that's, that's, that's awesome. So fear and, fear and flight throws them into overload. Yeah, and I always tell me, I, I mean, I, t- I tell our, our, our team all the time, like, you can't expect the dog to just want to eat when right. he is afraid for his or for her sure. life. Like, mm-hmm. it does, it's not going to happen. I can't eat when I get nervous. You like, had a rough weekend, right? Yeah. And you said you didn't, yeah. <laughs> you didn't, didn't eat. <laughs> That's the same with us. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So, but there is that dog that ain't going to take your food no matter what, bro. Right. Even for free. Yep. And what I do to safeguard again, because of my background, I will fucking put the food down and film those fuckers not eating. I'll take another phone with the time and the date on that phone and film the both. This motherfucker's not eating at noon. He's not eating at one. He's not eating yep. at three. And I tell the owners, I'm very transparent. And I'm also very transparent in our tools, prong collar, e collar. And I put it on social media. I'm, as I'm updating throughout the time of the board and train, I am showing them the corrections, I am showing them the tools. Right. So this way, when they are batshit in that no-jump game, day one, square one of that go-home lesson, the owners are prepared for correction. Right. And if they're not, they're not going to handle it, man, you know, it's the reality of it. And mm-hmm. so that's why, again, some of the young trainers that I'm training, they're, they're scared to correct the dogs in front of the owner. You have to. And if the dog is a machine on the go-home lesson, it sucks. Yeah. Because they're going to fuck up. Yep. Right. They're going to fuck up. You got to. Yeah. And I tell, I tell my, my team all the time, like, hey, you could show me all your behaviors, all the, like, you could show me, come with me, place, all that in this controlled environment, or not even in a controlled environment, in a, in a session. Right. That doesn't mean that the dog's going to do it when the owner, who is not a trainer, no. is going to tell. So that is how we need to approach training is, how are they going to call the dog? How are they, you know, how are they going to be able to reward the dog? How, you know, how are they going to interact with the dog? It's not going to be in a, in a, you know, in this session that you're in, no, right. you're going to let the dog do his thing. 
and then he's going to start chewing on something and they're going to want to call him back and the dog must come back. Right. So those are the type of sessions we need to prepare. I don't care if a dog comes back from a downstate. I don't give two shits about it. Right. Is he going to come back when there's something else that he wants? Sure. And that is what we need to focus on as dog trainers. Absolutely. You know, uh, that that's just, you know, but you're, you're saying pretty similar stuff too. You know, it's like, that's, yeah. how, that's how we got to teach these dogs. And, and, and these if people. there are any, if there are any potential clients watching this, um, listen to your trainers. I had a, a client, um, and when I went did the go home, they got upset because I didn't let their dog jump on them. Yes. Oh. And and she was like, No, no, let him go. Let him go. I was like, No, no, no. We we the, one of the reasons they brought the dog in was to stop this behavior. <laughs> it's crazy. And she was like, I miss him so much. I, I want him to jump on me. She yes. even got on the ground on her knees. It's for the but, human. Yes. Yeah. Bro, and, it's it's and, and I, he's <laughs> just about to go in on it right now. I mean, how can I what do I tell the, the owner? You know what I mean? I was like, Okay. So you got you to gotta talk in terms that they get <laughs> return on investment. Yeah. You want to piss away all the money you just spent? Go ahead and roll around on the yeah. ground with them. Yeah. Because it's so relative to every other interaction between them for the rest of the dog's day, week, and life. You know? Again, that initial no jump game teaches the owner so much about dog behavior, how to, the, the timing of your, your corrections and timing of reward. Yes, you can absolutely love on the dog and absolutely roll around on the ground but he must have four paws on the ground he must ask for your attention not demand it yep and then you give that to him and as soon as he gets intrusive on your space it stops pressure comes again four paws on the ground he gets what he wants in in black and white and that the, the owners are the hardest part yeah. Yeah. the hardest part to, to help them understand and and what i constantly remind myself of is that their dysfunction not not i have some amazing owners don't get me wrong I'm talking about these folks that are, have a difficult time <laughs> really understanding we have to remember that it's their dysfunction and their inability to communicate and connect with the dog is why we have a job. Right. True. And whew, sometimes I got to yep. <laughs> woosle myself. Yeah, down. I'll, 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 I used to, you know, when I was doing a lot of drop offs, I would let them know like, Hey, this is still my dog. Like, <laughs> yeah. not, he's not your dog yet. Yeah. Let yeah. me, let, yep. it's still, he's still under my care. He's still my dog. You, you have to do yeah. what I tell you. Yeah. And it's yep. all for the benefit of the dog and for you. Yes. So, yeah. yeah and to any new trainers too, you know, don't back down. Yeah. These owners, yeah. you know, I know I did in that situation, but you know, um, I, you, you should definitely. Yeah. But like what Justin said, I, yeah. that, that's a good approach. Like, Hey, this is, I mean, yeah. you paid for this. So this if you want money. it to just be gone. All right. Yeah. So I have like the template of unwanted behavior and wanted behavior. I have that whole story as a cut and paste that I send them before they go home. It's if you read that article and you're a dog trainer, you can put me out of business. Like it's the Bible of animal of dog behavior. And whether they grasp it or not, you know, it's sometimes it's hard. But I tell them that, you know, it, it speak in terms that they get. You're not going to return on your investment. It's going to go out for for not. And sometimes there's some people are unreachable, man. Yeah, I mean, and and it's because again, it, it's how it makes them feel. Right. Oh, this dog is, you know, he loves me so much. No, yeah. he loves himself, and yep. he enjoys whatever right. whatever you're doing for him. But in the process, you're messing him up. Right. And it, people think that like that interaction of the dog jumping on them, it's like the dog loves me. Okay, yes, by definition, but what he's doing in that moment is satisfying his, his pack instinct. Not, doesn't give a shit about how he's making you feel. Right. You loving on him satisfies his need as a pack animal. Right. In return, it makes us feel, feel fulfilled and mm -hmm. the husbandry and the interaction, the whole reasons that we have dogs. Which we, which we do. Yes. Yeah. Which we, it's, not, it's not like we're saying never yeah. pet your dog, never you know hang out with your dog or roll around with your dog. That is not what we're saying here. For sure. But there's... There's a time and place yes. where this is where you could do this, man. Like my golden doodle, bro. Like my, we're, we're walking them yesterday and my wife's like, 
man, he's he's not a bad dog. Like we got a good dog. And I and I'm like thinking like she thinks I didn't even like I didn't train him. I'm like, just because you didn't see me do training doesn't yeah. mean that I wasn't doing training. Right. All the time that I was telling you guys, like, you know, ignore him yeah. or hey, wait. You know, and I and I have him at the door, make him wait until I go touch his nose so he yes. can come in. Yep. Uh, you know, all all this goes into play because bro, we're all eating at the dinner table. Yeah. He walks away, he lays down, and then I would go pay him over there. Yes. I would do and so now the dog just as soon as we sit down to eat, he'll walk he'll walk away, yeah. he'll lay down. And it's like, and it's not, it's not, it's not like a training that I broke down. It's just literally black and white. Like, yes. hey, you're you're not allowed here. And then once he wasn't allowed in there, he understood. I'd go pay him over there. Now it just became a. Yes. This yeah. is what I do. It's, it's, a very it's good consistent deal. training throughout the day outside of a session. <clears throat> outside of a session. And that's what these yep. dogs need. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. My go homes end up being like an hour and a half and I'll break them up. Yeah. You can't give everybody everything at once. So I do multiple go homes. It's like an hour, hour and a half. And I tell him, I said, you don't have to do this shit every day. So just what you just said, just plug in what he knows into his everyday life. Yep. You're making coffee. He's on place. You're re it. Reading a book. He's in a down. Go for your walk, sit down, heal, do a little bit. Just keep it relevant in his brain because yep. use it or lose it. A dog, let me back up. Like, there's no other creature on earth that analyzes and studies and cohabitates a human like a dog, not even primates. And our DNA is very similar. They are reading us like a book, bro. And it's, yeah, it's incredible. Smart, Fuck, bro. Brilliant, brilliant. And manipulating little fuckers, oh, right? Yeah. And I like that shit. So, <laughs> so if we understand that we can break down the wanted and unwanted in a very clear situation, bro, they, they get that shit. And you just plug that in, plug and play as part of their everyday life. You're going to get a bunch of trainers hitting you up. Hey, can you send us that, uh, that list? You have? <laughs> it's on my website. <laughs> it's on my website. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people here, you know, especially YouTube, because this goes on YouTube. We get a lot of views and there's a lot of bad just views on the e-collar. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about your process, uh, you know, and, and how you view the e-collar? Yeah, absolutely, man. So greatest tool in dog training in the same breath can be the most destructive tool in dog training if it's not used the right way. And Again, there's a lot of folks that have that idea that it's a fucking, you know, it's an it's a, uh, electric chair on the dog's neck. It's a smartphone around the dog's neck if you know what you're doing. It can guide them home and, and, and communicate at great distances, man. So my pet approach versus my working dog approach are different. Very similar, but there's, there's a step that I, I don't do in pet training because we're chasing the clock. I do it to a very uh, a small little degree. So for me, when I have the opportunity, I'll, I'll just start with working dog side. Yeah. Like we had dogs that are our dogs. We have time. And, and the problem with uh, swipe culture and, and today's society and, and dog trainers as a whole, you know, people that are competitive, um, cops, type A types of folks, which we see a lot in this industry, want instant results, man. You, you have to slow your roll and be patient, which isn't easy for me, too. So the very first thing when, when the e-collar comes out of the training box or wherever it's time to train, I want the dog to go batshit crazy like he just won the lottery, like put that shit on my neck. I can't wait. And there's some dogs that figure that out over time, like the old school hunting dogs. I, I just started have a very deep interest in retriever training. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into the remote detection, remote um, surveillance work that Pat Nolan's doing. Yeah. We'll talk about that shit, but that's mind blowing shit to me. But in, in that world, the old school retrievers knew one way, bro, pressure on and off. And, you know, labs are thick headed and thick skinned, bro. Like even though they know that e collars coming out for that pressure force fetch they still want that shit on their necks because right. they, they go chase ducks someone, yeah. yeah they know that nothing starts until that goes on their necks and then that means ducks again that means everything to them it's so deep in their dna that although they think it's an they know it's an aversive tool one way mm -hmm. they still say i'll take it 
it's kind of like marriage, I guess. And shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so my my thing is when the equipment comes out, I want the dog to go rat shit crazy. Like, man, this is it. Some dogs figure it out, but I manufacture that. So with classical conditioning that we know that we're linking signals together and signals can be all of our senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. We think classical conditioning is clickers, whistles, markers. It's so much deeper than that. We can link all the senses, right? So when we hear, when the dog hears that collar come out, the jingling of the buckle, you're unzipping your pouch. Like, again, we want him to have like that euphoric state. Like, ah, I can't put that on. Right. When my wife goes to leave the house and she grabs her purse, her keys, and her phone, and her whole, her whole ritual of leaving, again, the dogs are watching, that little prick chihuahua goes bonkers, bro. He goes crazy because that little shit wants to go in the pouch. Right. wants to go in the purse with her. It's that, that equipment elicits an uncontrollable physiological response in that animal of dopamine, of happiness, of really excitement. I want the same feeling to the equipment of the e-collar. Well, how do we do that? With classical conditioning, we must link the signals within one and a half to two seconds. So, example, most folks keep their leash hanging by the front door when they take their dog for a walk. They start walking to the door. The dog knows hey, it's that time. You grab the leash, spin, spin, spin. All the, again, uncontrollable physiological response mm -hmm. that good times are coming, being linked to the owner, going for a walk. You simply have the e-collar hanging next to the leash. Dog's never seen the e-collar in its life. E-collar goes on. The dog's like, oh, he didn't grab the leash. E-collar, grab the leash. Oh, leash, boom. Repetitiously, day in, day out, over and over. So you must link it in very close proximity, e-collar, leash. Then, with no leash present, you go to get the e-collar off the rack by the front door. It's the same response because it's now. Sorry, bro. I'm going to smash this thing. It's been a conditioned <laughs> response. And you've taken that opportunity to link those signals together. There's many other ways to do it. Put the e-collar on just before you do food-based obedience if the dog loves it. The dog loves to go play Frisbee, and you go to the same place. to go. We're habitual creatures, and the dogs read that. So we go to our little Frisbee playing spot. The dog knows what's coming. Right. E-collar, Frisbee. Yep. And, man, it's a very simple process that we, we intentionally do to make good feelings of the equipment, whatever it may be. And then the next step that I do is, which I don't do in pet training, but I absolutely do in my working dog spot, and, and this is a pretty hot topic with folks like Ivan and shit lately, is I charge electronic stimulation just like I would a clicker. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we do that is what we're doing is we want the dog to understand that there's, there's consequences later, that he's going to receive pressure for unwanted behavior, but it doesn't put his drive and his mental state in the gutter. Yep. We want him to receive the pressure, go, I got you, bro. Let me do this. Let me try harder. Keep the hope. Keep the hope alive. And and because again, I don't want a dog that looks defeated, bro. I don't want a dog that looks like he wants to slit his wrist when it's right. time to do obedience. I want the tail up, ears up, eyes just And we're talking burning. about a, a work like a dog Working with the with the right genetics for it. Because yeah. you know, there's some dogs that are I mean, they just no matter what No matter what. Yeah, bro. they're just gonna look defeated. But there's some dogs, bro, in the same breath, I put the e collar on and start tickling them, bro, and they're like it's a little giddy up. Yeah. Even in mutts, like with no, mm -hmm. no genetics. So, so that's the idea. And in Nipopo, there's many different do, uh, uh, dimensions of the system. One of my favorite dimensions is the preparation of the dog for pressure, for corrections. And whether it's pressure from a decoy, pressure from e collar, pressure from a prong. And you have a video, man. I don't think you ever put it out, bro. When Rogan was little. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that's the pinch fucking colors. gold, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you're just trying to be a magician. They want to show your tricks and shit. Uh, you know what? Sometimes I, I do, I do feel a little like, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like I understand it and I, and I get what I want to do. And I feel like if I put too much out, um, 
like they're not really gonna get what I'm trying to do because yeah. they're not in my head. Yes. And they're gonna start using it the wrong way. And yeah, that's yeah. how I feel about it. Uh, okay. I remember that video. I I, mean, I did I did post one with the with the pinch collar, but even that yeah. one got like, you know, some some people talking. I'm just like, yo, you don't see what I like you don't see like you're right. not there molding this thing that right. I'm that I'm working with. You know what I mean? And so that's why it's difficult sometimes. I get that, man. But But you- I, I, I use I use my e collar. I mean, I do all everything you're like and I never went to Nipopo. But I did, uh, you know, look, I, w- I was watching Bart early on yes. when those videos were like in on YouTube back in like 2009 or something. And I was like, I remember I saw his black dog Thor and I yeah. was like, that's Whoa. what I want right there. Yeah. So anyways, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I do it very similar to that. And that yeah. I think that whole and Pat Nolan's again, I hold him as one of the top gifted trainers on the planet. He's got a, um, a push to the pile thing. It's very similar. It's negative reinforcement in the quadrants, but it's a tap. It's a, it's creating that gas to go, because again, in, in a tactical environment, in a sport dog world, police dog world, there's so many behaviors that are occurring away from us. Like for me, I want the dog to feel that stimulation as a as a, a going up yep. and drive compliant. And then a lot of folks hear this are like, "You're making my dog stronger and unprong and another electric." Like, where do you go when you're maxed out? If the dog's maxed out on any of the tools, there's a a big big problem yeah. in the system yeah. of communication so but there, for sure there's some dogs and some dog teams that you can't make them harder you need to but the, again that's a variable for the team in front of you yeah but and not just that but i think uh so uh another thing too is if if you have to, you have to instill other skills to that to that dog that becomes stronger like you can come up you got to shut down yes. or you know like so i think uh, i i know what you're saying like because guapo I, it was it's like as soon as he sees that thing he's like and I can't control them. Yes. I mean, I can control them with an e-collar. He's yeah. good. But um, but he can't control his emotions for it. Right. So with Rogan, I did the opposite. It was like, go, 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 shut it off. Yes. Yep. And I'm in room service, room service, room service, room right. service. So that's another thing that, you know, I, sure. I work a lot. Yeah, there's not, some dogs need that go, go, go. And then some dogs that need to be flattened down. Yeah. But there's, it just depends on the dog, depends on the team and what, what the end goal is. So, so. so let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, like you know, promoting a behavior and eliminating a behavior with the collar, and and how did how is that different? So once I make good feelings to the equipment, and then I charge stimulation. So just like a clicker, tap low level on e collar tech. Maybe I'm on number two, number one, nothing. I give the dogs so much credit for their senses, bro. I believe they can hear that shit when I push the button. I believe they can smell that shit. Bro, their their senses are on another level. And I give them way more benefit of the doubt maybe than I should, but I'm always super low. I'm not looking for that titration where they can see a physiological response. I don't want that yet. I want, again, just the feeling. Again, they're, they're looking at the pulse of my, even if you're using a finger kick, they're looking at the tremors in my muscle, bro. Like, they're that deep. And they can feel when you push the buttons. They see your, your reactions and your contractions. Like, they mm-hmm. fucking link it all together. So whether you're high or low, it's all part of that process. So I tap within one and a half, two seconds, reward comes. It could be tap food, tap toy. And I like push, pushing them away. So I'll tap and I'll throw the food away from me so that I have the explosive kind of prey response. And I want that jacked up feeling under it tap to go bite tap to go get a frisbee tap to restrain recalls another one man you're yep. holding the dog back whoever's holding the dog has a remote you run handler runs turns calls the dog tap boom, gas 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 to go 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 and the question here is is when do i install the brakes well so once i know i'm then i can go up and i can see the titration i can tap the button i can see the contraction i can see the dog get jacked and then go 
then I, it's dog training 101. I'm just applying, you know, very low level negative reinforcement to behaviors that the dog knows very well, behaviors that the dog is very passionate about, behaviors that the dog believes he created and invented. Because in Nipopo, we have a saying that a dog will fight for his own invention. And the invention can be place, it can be detection, it can be searching, any behavior that we're looking for. The dog, if they invent it, they, they're, it's absolutely the gospel. So I attach electronics, low level, usually in the beginning, continuous stim, until the dog gets in the zone of completing the behavior, not always GPS until they arrive at the front door, but as they're doing and showing good efforts and intentions, low level pressure shuts off as they do it. And if again, if you have the mindset that the behavior they're passionate about, you're linking a signal that you've created endorphins, you've created adrenaline and dopamine and good feelings too, it's just more gas, gas, gas. So we've applied that, and then we get into momentary, we get into variable, we get into the hot and cold game. Again, there's so many variables in electronics, and I, people are always asking me, what level? Is it continuous? Is it moment? I can't fucking tell different. you from one yeah. rep to the next. I don't even look at it sometimes. Right, and that's because yeah. you're fluent, yeah. and it's becomes it's muscle memory. And, and that's the part of dog training you can't always teach people. You can't teach people. They have to feel that for themselves. Yeah. And just going back to the thing we said, we learn more from our failures. That, that's where it happens. So back in the day, we only had Tritronics, man. We had these big giant remotes, bro, with a color. It was color. hot, really yeah, hot. hot. That's it, bro. We had different color-coded plugs like that were in the collar. So if it wasn't working, you have to tackle the dog, take the fucking thing off, change the plug. And he said, fuck this. I'm going to the highest level. And then yeah. it was just shit, like shit training. So, But once we go to apply, put the brakes to unwanted behavior, and again, the dog's learning consequences and boundaries through your obedience. But when we stop unwanted behavior, I'm talking about dumpster dive and i'm talking about counter surfing pet shit or even dogs like on police dogs they're tracking and fucking around with dog odor or eating fucking found food out of the dumpster and shit like that this is for my guy cameron right now uh <laughs> is my buddy cameron and uh his his patrol dog yep uh is into dog odor ah, okay and so you know if so we'll, we'll talk about aversive control like in a pet model then i'll, I'll tell you okay. how because when anytime you add con like high level pressure when the dog's using his nose, you got to be very, very fucking careful that there's not target odor in his nose at the same time you apply aversive control because then he will hold that whole moment accountable. So I'll tell you from the working dog side how I set that up. But from the pet side, there's no better correction that the dog ever gets than the one they believe they gave themselves or the environment bit them. And it's better that there's no human fucking present, bro. Like, so. <laughs> yeah. So what we use is technology, man. Like we set up cameras, whether it's baby monitors, FaceTime, you know, you got cameras in your head, your house set up. Let's imagine the dog's counter surfing. I right? almost want to stop you, bro, because I just feel like you're putting people on too much game right now. It's, not, it's, it's the elevated podcast, so we're going to hook you guys up. You can, you can delete this shit. No, 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 it's cool. Go ahead. We'll hook you guys up. So what happens is traditionally that the dog goes up to steal a sandwich, steals a ham sandwich from the counter. Because you make that sandwich, bro, you're, you're fucking drooling. He's watching you like a hawk make that sandwich, bro. You're like, oh, fuck, I need those chips, bro. You put the sandwich on the edge of the counter. You turn around and go to the cupboard to get those chips. You come back. You hear the dish clink. Next thing they know, the fucking sandwich is gone. The dog's like, yeah, you got another one, bro? Correct me. I don't care. I'll take it. Well, you, but then you go to punish him, bro. And it's the wrong behavior yeah. that you're punishing. Because not only is, is in marker training and, and, and classical conditioning 1.5 seconds for positive wanted behavior, it's also extremely relevant for unwanted. Yeah. So when the crumbs are hanging off homeboy's beard and you're fucking going to punish him, he thinks you're the biggest asshole on earth. He has no idea why you, you're stressing about him. It creates so much damage and conflict in your relationship. 100%. So they're fucked. So you have to be patient. 
you go make that sandwich again. First, feed yourself, right? So you're, yeah, you, I'm a foodie, bro. I get fucking hangry yeah. quick, right? <laughs> so you go and you repeat. You, you put your, your cameras up on the crime scene, bro. You make that sandwich. You log in on the other device. You're watching. The big brother is watching from the sky. Your e-collar is on. Remember, the whole system's been conditioned the right way. The dog loves the collar. He understands electronics. He gets it. Now you put the sandwich out. Now you leave. And now you watch. And as soon as this dude goes, is he really just making another sandwich? Yeah, he's about to hook me up. Bro, as soon as you see that hunting behavior as he's approaching the counter and about the thought about it, the thought, bro, the elevation, he's going to get, and remember, he's in ninja mode, right? He's not in pursuing a decoy mode. So in a lower drive state, like number 15 and 20 on the Because he knows he's not going to do it when you're not there. Right, bro. Like, he's in he's in this little snake mode, bro. He's like, who's watching? I'm like, what's <laughs> Why did I just picture a Frenchie doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the table has to be fucking that high. So he, he's in a different drive state, right, as opposed to a decoy on the field where you're going to go much higher. Your correction, corrective level is, 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 could be way higher than this moment because he's in ninja mode. So then, bro, you find that a level that as he elevates and goes to commit that crime, bro, lightning strikes. And because they're narcissistic creatures, bro, they're, some, are, some are masochist motherfuckers and go for it repeatedly. But if the pressure is high enough and you have that startling effect, the dog will link that moment together and then build a superstition to say, whoa. I would never counter, want to feel this again. Counter's dangerous, bro. He's going to see you walk back in. Like, bro, don't eat that sandwich. That motherfucker <laughs> tastes like lightning. And then you go and you go, ah, shit. You do the same thing with the sandwich. And, bro, they're, they're, they, they can build superstitions and they're narcissistic. Now, some are criminals, bro. I had a job as a cop because there's a, a large portion of the population that knows the law. They're going to break that shit no matter who's coming. Right. There's dogs like that. There's mm-hmm. dogs like that. And so they'll, they'll opportunist too. So he may try from that side of the counter. He may try from another side, bro. Like some of these dogs are yeah. about it. 100%. And they just have to rinse and repeat and recreate the same picture where the dog goes, you know what? I'm staying off that bitch. Right. So, you know, now in terms of your buddy hunting, is he experiencing it on tracks or live yeah. searches? Yeah. So that's the hard part. Because in a canine patrol dog school from zero to the time they certify and can deploy, it's a 100% success rate. They come out of the car. They put their teeth on shit. Life's good. In the real world, it's the fucking complete opposite, bro. You Very few times, there, there's dudes that do licks, like a robbery and stay on foot. They got getaway cars, bikes, motors, whatever, bro. So the dog will go to the crime scene, put their nose on the ground, acquire that target odor that they know they're looking for, and then it's like, beam me up, Scotty, bro. Like, shit's just disappeared, vaporized, gone. And then they try to self-reward. And investigating odor is, is a very self-rewarding behavior. Mm-hmm. I go back to my wife's chihuahua. Like, she'll be walking that little shit on the pavement, bro, no grass, and the dude will dive down. He'll stop, put his nose on the pavement, and you see his eyes just, like, roll back. He gets that stupid look in his face. Yeah. He's in so deep in some euphoric scent, bro, that is, like, speaking to his DNA, like, this is it. And, like, you can't pull that little shit off, bro. Like, so hunting and sniffing, we've taken all these God-given behaviors in the dog and applied them to finding criminals, finding explosives, finding drugs that it's a self-rewarding behavior. So right. when he can't get paid on target odor, fucking around with dog odor is being like, oh, this motherfucker, fucking piss on that and figure out who's who in the hood. Like, this yeah. is my territory. <laughs> like, dog, again, expressing all that shit, bro. Like, dogs, and that's why the dog goes crazy for the leash hanging by the front doors because dogs going outside is like us being on social media, bro. It's like them sniffing and peeing and covering piss and shit and seeing who's in the hood, like, Liking, sharing, commenting, seeing, yeah, scrolling yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. them scrolling through the feed of life, bro. Right. So that is self-rewarding. So 
The problem with detection or tracking when you want to punish dogs for bullshit is that you must, A, the behavior must be very clear, but then you must isolate the target odor that you don't want them fucking with, the distract odor, whether it's dog odor. I go over the top, bro. If I got a bitch in heat, I'll swab her, put that shit in a, in a bag, and then I'll plant that shit out. Like, is it almost like a, like a snake avoidance type yes, deal? Yes, exactly. It. It's the exact same shit. So we want to create aversive feelings to that scent. And then the dog cannot shut their nose off, bro. It's their primary source of taking in information in their world. And of now, course. Are you, would you only do that in the track or would you do like, cause you out know. of the track first. So out of the track. So what I normally do is let's say the dog is, his problem is piss odor or dog odor. Yeah. I'll take fur. I'll have the handler clean up the back of their crate, back of the cruise or the car, put that hair in a bag, take their dog for a piss break. You know, those long ass, you know, tongs they use for like the chain gangs on the side of the street. Like they're picking up trash. Those, yeah. Get a piece of paper towel in those tongs and then get that this shit right in your dog's uh, stream of piss. So he's pissing on that cloth. Right. Paper towel or a rag. And then I'll go and plant that shit. I'll put a nail through that shit into the grass by somebody else. Plant that shit. Know exactly where that shit is. Have, bring them to a tree and have their dog piss all over. Just control the environment. You have to control the environment. You have to know where the distractor is. And I don't put the dog in any commanded position. I just want him to think he's going for a piss break. So... You're going to say, oh, he's never going to piss on duty. Bullshit. He will. So the second that you see that investigative behavior, again, you want it at a great distance. You don't want to say anything to the dog. Cut him loose. And as soon as you see that change in behavior, gunk, now he says, fuck, there's some animal odor there. As soon as he goes to investigate, high level, again, depending on the dog, that's, mm -hmm. you have to understand your dog. Apply that aversive feeling to investigating that dog odor. Got it. So, and you have to do that in many different pictures. This is going to be tough with like an older dog too, huh? Yes. Like Six-year-old, six yes. seven-year-old dog has been doing this whole life. It's like almost damn near impossible. I would take it. Depends. Like the, the hardest thing to correct is no, the neurosis that the dogs get spinning and barking in the back of the patrol car. Mm -hmm. That is such a, that's almost like Tourette's, bro. Like you, yeah. it's, there's techniques that I have to counter condition that shit that is so deep and self-rewarding. They almost, it's almost involuntary. They don't even know they're doing it. chain. But the saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks is not true. Yeah. So that six, seven-year-old dog that's been doing it his whole you life, still, you can make odor bite him cool. back. So you do it, you put him in a high level, and you don't say shit. Because if you link your voice and you link your presence to that moment, then it becomes a pack conflict. The dog also believes that you have to be present to stop it. So you want, if you're not even watching, bro, even better. If the eye in the sky can be watching remotely or you just you know, kind of look up front around a corner, as soon as you see that investigative whack, that gets him. And then you change the picture frequently. Then you're looking for classic avoidance. You plan out your bait. You take the dog for a piss break. He goes, yeah, fuck that. I'm out. Got it. <laughs> and then that's where you apply it to a track. This is where it gets dangerous. So now I lay a two-part track. Of my track track layer run a track to a, a known location. He gets picked up in a car, in the car, windows up, not on the push bump or not in the bed of a pickup. I want him locked inside, windows up. So now the odor is gone. There's no chance of human odor. I drive the track layer maybe 10 yards downrange. And obviously, if the wind's in our favor, we want the wind up the dog's ass going downrange. Right. You can't control that as best you can. And then somebody else. So you have, a, you have a track, it could be you know, 30, 40 yards, whatever it is. Then you have the decoy picked up, and then he's redeposited about 10 yards, 15 yards downrange to lay a second part of the track, whether he's laying there for a bite or plants a reward or an article, that, that doesn't matter. But what you have is a two-part track with no man's land now. Now somebody else brings that same distractor and puts it in that no man's land zone. So now the dog's going to start the track. 
starting to hit target odor of the human, and all of a sudden where the track layer got picked up, it's fucking, like, he's gone. So the dog's like, fuck. And there's nothing, there's nothing, no way to reacquire it. So now you push the, the high-end handler just guides the dog a little bit into that no man's land. All of a sudden the dog goes, oh, no human? I'm gonna go fuck with this odor. Ideally, because if you've done the homework, you want to see avoidance of that part, right. but you've never applied it into training yet. So now the dog's in a much different mindset, different gear. He's like, oh, okay, no, and he's done it his whole life, right? right? So now he comes in target with that fucking, and then whack, the aversive stem comes, boop, jumps like a cat, boom, fuck that, and then I keep the, oh, I keep the dog there for a minute because I want to see the clear avoidance because then you're going to have a flashback. The dog's going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, fuck that now. Right. And then it's the handler's job to guide him downrange to get back into tracking behavior. And then you want the reward source to come pretty soon after. Yeah. Then when you've done all those building blocks, I will put that shit right on the track. I want to see the dog tracking go fuck that around it and continue tracking. Oh. So whether it's dog odor, found food, whatever the distractors are. It's awesome. Oof. Yeah. Bro. Man, I, I, this is like why we do this, man, because uh, for me, at least, because I, I really enjoy hanging out and obviously like, yeah, you know, sure. I just added some new uh, tools to my to my toolbox. So, <laughs> bro, um, where, where can where can people find you, man? So uh, I got two Instagram pages. I, mean, I got one for Canine Services Unlimited. That's the business page. Um, you can find me there. Then J Rig Canine is a personal one. That's where I do a little more clowning and bullshit. Got it. Um, got it. Um, we're on Facebook too. Um, both the business Canine Service Unlimited and uh, Justin Rigney on, on social. I've been a little lazy with YouTube, bro. I'm starting to, I, uh, I realized somebody showed me a, a, like a demographic, like a schematic of where people are going to for, for resources, mm -hmm. whether they want to learn or they want a service, no matter what it is, whether it's right. engines, weed whackers, whatever the fuck. Every demographic, bro, every age bracket, every tax bracket, number one is YouTube. Yeah. And I didn't, bro, I've been behind on that shit. I had a page for years. So now, bro, like on Sunday, normally I try not to go to the facility and, you know, preserve my marriage and mm -hmm. shit, hang out with the fam. Yeah. yeah. Is that I'll, we're just chilling there, bro. I'm doing dump. Like I have, I think now I'm up to like 2021. Like I have, I think I have like 6,000 videos. Yeah, that's in this all bitch. I am. <laughs> I'm a pack rat. So I'm uploading everything. So, we're behind on that, but you can find us on YouTube, Canine cool. Service Unlimited, man, and and um, awesome. That's where we're man, at, bro. It's it's been it's it's been a blessing having you here with us, man. <laughs> I'm uh, grateful for guys. Again, if you guys enjoy this podcast, I mean, we're not making anything out of it. We just want to you know put out good information for you all. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, comment, and if really if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Um, you can follow me at Oscar Mora Dogs. And uh, Royal? Uh, I'm at uh, Royal underscore G. And then obviously at Elevated Canine Academy. And uh, remember, guys, elevate your mind. Elevate your canine. Thank, thank you guys for uh, for hanging out with us. Peace thank out. You. Let's get it. This that go and get it. With no hesitation. This that never quit.